All right, so thank you for, for being here. Um, as Aaron said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 41. Thank you for the wonderful setup for it that is going to be interesting. We'll see. Um, but if you were here last week, Scott reminded us of the importance for us to pray, seek God, and then act. He used the example of the 120 believers that were together. Um, and so if you look at the whole book of Acts, Luke talks a lot about people being together, believers being together. So we're going to continue, pick right up where Scott left off. And basically, if I was going to sum up chapter 2, um, it's, or at least the verses 1 through 41, it's Luke basically saying, you're not going to believe what happened next. He's taking what happened in chapter 1. He's saying, you're not going to believe this. Wait till I tell you this next story. So as I was preparing for it, um, I came across a quote that um, kind of changed the course of the lesson for me midweek, but I thought summed up this chapter very well. Um, I do love quotes, and before I read it, I will say um, it's not sports-related. And I actually shared my notes with my wife yesterday. I, I like to have her read over it to make sure it flows right. And she said, it looks good, and for the first time, there's no mention of sports. So for non-sports fans, you will be happy. <laughs> but this quote is from Vance Havner. He was, he was a revivalist from uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. He was known for his storytelling and, while, and proclaiming the gospel. It's said that he proclaimed the gospel through storytelling for over 73 years. So here's the quote. We are not going to move this world by criticism of it or by conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. So I thought that just sums it all up. And I started thinking about every time you turn on the TV, it doesn't matter what news, news station you prefer, um, what internet sites you go to, what social media platform you go to, we all see everybody criticizing the world. The world has a lot of problems, right? We can all agree on that. And I know when you get together with friends, it's easy to be very critical. But he's saying we're not going to change the world by doing that, nor conforming to it. And so many times we see Christians, even churches and even pastors, start trying to conform to the world, right? They start kind of change the message a little bit because we'll be a little bit more accepted. Or we're going to do it a little different because of X, but really, if we focused on being ignited by the Spirit, being ignited by the Holy Spirit, that's what's going to change the world. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So I started thinking about the word ignite. So I titled the lesson, We Are Ignited. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, so you've been ignited by the Holy Spirit. So I was thinking about the word ignite and fire. It brought back lots of childhood memories. I love fire. Um, in a very safe way. My wife told me to please clarify what I mean when I say I love fire. She didn't want y'all to think I'm some maniac that just goes and likes to blow things up. I just like a fire in the fireplace. I like a charcoal grill. Um, when we're back home in Alabama, um, we had my dad had a, a fire pit. It's just a little tractor rim. It doesn't matter if it's in July or December, I build a fire. It's just peaceful to me. But I also am just mesmerized by the power of it, that a little flame with some wood with some air blowing on it, can, can build to something bigger and beautiful and powerful. So um, that's just what I, I go back to. And I, it reminded me of a story. See, my dad also loved fire. I didn't tell you all that back in June when I talked about him. 
But a funny story on, on his love for fire is I was in high school. Our house was a, had a very long hall. We had a glass porch on the end where the TV was. So a friend and I were out there watching TV. We were waiting to go out to dinner on a Saturday night. My mom and dad went out with three other couples every Saturday night. And usually about once every five weeks, the kids got to go. So it was a big night. Quincy Steakhouse in Selma, Alabama, Saturday night. It was huge. But Hardee's have this trait of always being early. So my dad was ready early. It's probably an hour before we're supposed to go. And he was bored. Um, I get the same way. I get very bored, very easy. I cannot sit. I can't stand still either. Um, So if I'm making you dizzy, I'm sorry. Um, And so he decided that there was this pine tree right next to the house at the end of the porch. And there was that part of Alabama has a lot of sugar ants. They get everywhere. They don't harm anything, but they get in your car, get in your house, they get everywhere. So he decided that he would take a little match and just light the pine straw because we had 30 minutes to kill, right? He's going to burn the ants. He tried poison, tried everything. So let's just burn them. Well, within literally a matter of seconds, the flame gets the pine sap and shoots up the tree. And I didn't know what to do, so I ran outside to see it. And by then, it's at the top. And out in the country, we didn't have a water hose. Don't know why. But he said, get a water hose. Okay, where? So the neighbors weren't home. They had a couple hundred yards away. So a friend and I would take off across this field. we get a water hose. we pull up the old station wagon. And he stands on top of it with a water hose. And we're just laughing, going, this is not going to work. But hey, it's all, it's all you got, right? So we lived also off of Highway 80. U.S. Highway 80 goes from the East Coast to the West Coast. And Saturdays, everybody's going to town. Everybody's going to Quincy Steakhouse. So people could see the smoke, and they would stop to see what was going on. And we would just laugh and tell the story. And so an hour or so later, we get to town. It was chaotic. We walk in. Everybody in the steakhouse laughs as soon as we walk in. And by then, the story had changed a little bit. It, it didn't, when we got to town, people were not talking about a small fire to kill ants. It was blowing up stuff and building big bonfires. And anyway, so it reminded me of the first 13 chapters of this, uh, verses of this chapter where the 120 believers received the Holy Spirit, but those outside witnessed it, and it was chaotic. They had no clue what was going on, and they had to set, and so then Peter comes in and sets the record straight. So when talking about fire, there's references to fire in there. It just made me think of of that story. So I'm going to read the first 13 verses um, to, to kick it off. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how, it, and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, 
Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they were filled with new wine. So in these verses, we see three things. The Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit filled them, and the Holy Spirit spoke through them. So in verses 2 and 3, it says, the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind. Living here in DFW, we know what that sounds like, right? In the spring, thunderstorm season, you know what the sound of a rushing wind. It doesn't say it was a rushing wind, but it was like a rushing wind. It also mentions fire. And so if you have studied the Bible um, much, you know that the power of God is, also, is often referenced as wind and or fire. And if you put those together, you try to build a fire and you have a good wind or some good air, it's powerful. So that's, what, that's what's happening here is the Holy Spirit coming down on them. It was powerful. Um, and verse 4 is where it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we as believers, we have the Holy Spirit today, and we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. When, daily. We're commanded in, uh, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul talks about it. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's through the filling of the Holy Spirit that we're then empowered to speak of the mighty works of God. That's what happened here. They were filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak of the mighty works of God. And that's when um, we are able to follow Jesus' command in Acts 1.8, when he says, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit upon you, and you will be, be my witnesses, and also the Great Commission. And then the rest of these verses, 5 through 13, is when we see the Holy Spirit speak through them. I'm not going to get into the issue of tongues. So this, you know, we could do a, a long study on that. But it says that they spoke in a language that was understood in their own native tongue, right? So these 120 people received the Holy Spirit and they gave them power to speak in verse 11, the mighty works of God. So they just began to speak of the mighty works of God. And then the, we know there were thousands of people there because he, he said every nation under heaven was represented. And we also know there was a lot of people there because at the end of verse 40, 41, we see that at least 3,000 people were saved. So we know there were several thousand people around that heard this. And they began to make accusations, said they were drunk, said they were crazy. They said it was chaotic. And that's when Peter steps in and just steps up and to, to, to set the record straight. This is his famous sermon to, at Pentecost. So if you look at verses, uh, let's, the rest of the chat, the, uh, 14 through 41, if you, I'd say 14 through 16 is kind of Peter's introduction. Um, 17 through 21 is this text, because we'll talk about this in a minute, but he, just, he quotes from the, from the book of Joel. And then he goes into the body of the sermon, then he gives a, a conclusion. And I started thinking about that study. We've all heard it. We've all talked about it is one of the greatest fears is public speaking and then you add in public speaking when there's a lot of people that don't agree with you and think you're crazy that's what Peter did he stood up with the other 11 it says and he began to tell them what happened and this is thousands of people that were mocking him but he through the power of the Holy Spirit takes his boldness to deliver this sermon so he confronted the crowd to talk about um 
the power of the Holy Spirit. So verses 14 through 16. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. And then he goes into um, quoting the book the book of Joel. So he starts at verse 14. Let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. Listen to me now, okay? I've got a very important message for you. And he starts by just telling them, hey, they're not drunk. And then if we skip down into 17 through 21, I think that's when he, um, he starts telling them what happened um, about the Holy Spirit coming down. So um, I'll read 17 through 21. This is directly from Joel uh, 28 through 32. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in these days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that is his text for this sermon. And he, he's telling them, look, basically, there's nothing more to God's plan of redemption and salvation. It's, it is the you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But he starts with um, Joel giving them the prophecy that the Spirit will come down. So he's pointing back to the Old Testament. He knows that because the Jews, that they are very familiar with the Old Testament. So he's going back there to say, hey, this was, you know this. The Holy Spirit, it was already, you knew this was coming. And then we get to uh, verses 22 through 35 I think this is where Peter starts telling him how it happened. Um, and to summarize that in one word, Jesus. He starts right out with Jesus. Is how everything that happened in verses 1 through 13, it happened because of Jesus. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also would dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing 
and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your, my, make your enemies your footstool. So I, I don't think he's doing this to prove the resurrection to him. I think he's proclaiming the resurrection. I don't think that is, I really don't think that he's trying to prove it, but, um, but proclaim it. So as I said, verses 22 through 24, he just points to Jesus. He knew the crowd believed in Jesus. He said that. He even said, you crucified him. So he knew that the crowd was aware that Jesus walked on the earth, performed miracles, performed signs. So in my opinion, why not start with Jesus as the answer to um, what happened? And then he goes back to the Old Testament, verses 25 through 31. He starts using David, um, a prophecy of David from Psalm 16, 8 through 11. And in this Psalm, David prophesies of Jesus as the Messiah. You know, again, I think he, he's going back to the Old Testament again because the crowd is familiar with it. And he's, I think, showing that Jesus is the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That it doesn't matter um, where you are in the Bible. Jesus is the link to it all. And he continues to drive that point home. And he points out that, again, that they crucified him. He he says in verse 29 through 31, he, he points out that, hey, David died and his tomb's here today. You know, he, he's not resurrected. It's Jesus is the one that died and was resurrection. But David knew this because Jesus came from David's descendants. Jesus came from David's line. So David is telling you because he's a prophet of the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and then verse 32 he says, as we are his witnesses, because it starts out with the 11. He says, we, he stands up with the 11 disciples. So he's saying, look, the resurrection happened because we witnessed it. So we're here to tell you we're witnesses of what I'm, what I'm preaching to you. And then he gets to the Holy Spirit again, 33 through 35, um, when he says that uh, Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. So again, the Holy Spirit was promised. And this is Peter proclaiming the entire gospel. He didn't stop with just Jesus lived, died, was resurrected. He ascended into heaven and then sent down the promised Holy Spirit. Um, and then uh, he goes back to David again, 34 and 35. This is Psalm 110, uh, verse 1, where he quotes it, reminding them, that um, it was David talking about Jesus ascending to heaven. And then the last part of this section um, is kind of the why. Um, I think it's the conclusion or the application to Peter's sermon. Um, so I'll read 36 through 41. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, in the, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other 
words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So this would be, like we do here at Prestonwood, this would be Peter's invitation. He's telling them exactly why everything had happened, why everything they witnessed they thought, that they thought was chaotic, why it happened. It was because of the gospel, Jesus' plan of salvation. So Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, just tells them how to be saved. He just gives a clear presentation of the gospel. He says, you need to believe, you need to repent of your sins, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. And he says it's for all. It's not for a certain group of people. It's not for a certain race, a certain economic group. He says, this promise is for all, everyone, far and near, all ages. Anybody who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, you know, he says 3,000 souls. So to me, um, I think about, you know, if you've ever been around like Freedom Weekend or if you've been to Harvest America, those large events, it is energizing to me to see when an invitation is given and you see a large number of people responding to the gospel. That's what I think of here. I mean, I know at Cowboy Stadium a couple years ago, seeing the football field full, I don't know if all of those people were going to be saved, but there were a large number of them. And to me, that fires me up. I don't know about you, but reading these last few verses, that's what kind of energized me through the week, that, hey, share the gospel the Holy Spirit speaks through you. The Holy Spirit convicts them. It's not our job to save them. It's our job to speak, powered by the Holy Spirit, and allow the Holy Spirit to allow them to listen and convict. That's what fires me up. Because Peter did it, 3,000 people at least saved. So to me, it's the same thing is true today. So I'm going to read that quote one more time, and then we'll kind of give you the couple takeaways I wrote down. We're not going to move this world by criticism of it or by conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. So my three little takeaways I wrote down is I've got the same power of the Holy Spirit that was talked about. We all have it. This was nothing special to them. Yeah, it was special to them, but we have that same Holy Spirit. We've accepted Christ. You have, The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. So we have the same power. So we have no excuse, right? I mean, this was, they have nothing that we don't have. And second thing is, I, I said, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. I need to wake up every morning and say, fill me today. And then the last thing is I need to go or we need to go and speak through the power of the Holy Spirit, not on our own. We cannot go and speak in our own strength, in our own words. It's through this power of the Holy Spirit. And when we speak the mighty works of God like they did, the Holy Spirit convicts and saves. All we have to do is, I say it like it's easy, we need to go out through the power of the Holy Spirit and just speak of what God's done in our lives. Speak of the mighty works of God. That's what they did. It caused a lot of chaos, and then Peter stands up and clarifies it, and thousands saved. I'm not saying everybody needs to go grab a microphone and find 3,000 people that are disagreeing with you and go proclaim the gospel. If that's 
if that's what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do, do it. But you can do this one-on-one. You can do it at home. You can do it at work. It's just talk about what, what God's done through the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to convict who you're telling. That's what this is all about. So the last question I wrote down on my paper that I thought about all week was, um, I want to change the world. Stop criticizing it and stop trying to be like it and just be ignited by the Spirit. Just be on fire. I was, when I read Darren's email this morning, the ready yourself, that was his whole theme about being on fire. And I know, I remember growing up, you would, you would hear the term, that person's on fire for the Lord. And I often wonder, do people say that about me? Do they say that about you, right? You know, I do spend more time criticizing the world than I do trying to um, change it by, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's true for me. Um, especially in today's world, it's so easy to get frustrated and with the platform of social media to get into discussions that are not fruitful. Scott's been very good at keeping me accountable on that, um, saying, hey, let go of that stuff. It's nothing, it's pointless, right? Um, and then, you know, so don't criticize it. Don't conform to it either. Be very careful. You know, it's okay, you know, be in the world but not of the world thing. So, um, so just be ignited and then go and tell, right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, just go and speak. That's what we're commanded to do, is to go. And I wrote down in the service just lyrics to this. I'm not going to sing. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> the lyrics to the song that we sang in church, I believe. I just wrote down a couple of them. I just thought was incredible. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus. And I started thinking, do I really, do I live that? We sing it all the time, right? Do I believe, I believe in the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, but do I really, truly believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? I don't think every day, I don't, I don't see it every day, but that's my prayer, has been my prayer all week, is that um, I would live a life that is ignited by the power of the Holy Spirit, that I would seek every day to just be filled with the Holy Spirit and everything that I say and do, and I pray that same thing for each one here. All right? Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, this class. We thank you for everybody that's here. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And God, I pray that each one of us would live a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit every day. That we would speak and that we would act through the power of the Holy Spirit, not our power, but yours. That everything we say and do would reflect you, would, would draw people to you. And that, God, we would um, allow the Holy Spirit to convict others that we're proclaiming you to and realize it's not our job to save, it's yours. So God, I just pray that um, each one of us would leave here um, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and just tell of the great things you've done in our lives. All this we pray in your name. Amen.